Hi, this is Chris Shelton, the Critical Thinker at Large, bringing you another episode of Critical Q&A, the show where I answer your questions based on what you've left for me in the comments section of my Q&A videos or have sent to me by email at askchrisshelton at gmail.com. This is episode number 98, meaning we have two more weeks to go live, uh, which I'm looking forward to and dreading at the same time. So anyway, I hope that comes out great. And if you guys haven't had a chance to check it out, I finally, this last week, uh, got to talk to an ex-Mormon, a foreman, uh, so to speak, and we had a great conversation, one of which I'm sure will be many, as we talk about comparing and contrasting Scientology with Mormonism and what's up with the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I've had a lot of questions about that over the years, and I was, I was glad to finally... Um, uh, collaborate with somebody who knew what they were talking about on that subject, similar to how I had earlier collaborated with uh, Lloyd Evans uh, regarding the Jehovah's Witnesses. So if you haven't seen that, I uh, highly recommend you check it out. I am also still on um, a roll with movie reviews, and so my Critical Picture channel is out there as well, and I would uh, encourage you guys to check that out if you're at all interested in movies as much as I am. I love them. So, uh, with all of that now, let's go ahead and get to your questions for this week. We've got some interesting ones. Sherry Sampson. Did you hear about Scientology's new anti-bullying website? It's called STAND, Scientologists Taking Action Against Discrimination. Yeah, it was kind of hard to miss, although I was a little bummed that I wasn't featured on it with all these other wonderful people who have been doing such excellent work uh, talking about Scientology over the last few years or, or longer for some of them. Uh, there are some really uh, excellent championship bloggers and journalists and ex-Scientologists featured on there. And I was kind of like, what do I need to do to get, <laughs> to get on these people's radar? <laughs> it was kind of funny. Um, it's a bit of a, yeah, this, this standleague.org or something like that is the URL of the site, and it's Scientology's latest lame attempt to try to put forward something that looks and sounds legitimate about critics and about Scientology, and they have taken the position of being against religious bigotry and against discrimination and for human rights. This is not something new for their positioning, but they are they are really trying, man. And they put together a, a fairly good-looking site, although stand is a stretch because there's no N there. Uh, so it, it's, it's stayed. It's <laughs> really how it, how, it had, how it should come across. But regardless of little nitpicking, you know, uh, goofy things like that, um, what they've done is actually put together a bunch of, uh, they, they got a bunch of their directors of special affairs, their office of special affairs people, to write articles or at least have their, have their signatory on articles and what they're calling white papers uh, against people like me, uh, like apostates, you know, people who speak out, how they, you know, there's papers on there about how you can't listen to apostates and how they're, they're completely unreliable and, and wholly uh, faithless and this sort of thing. Then there are um, anti-bigotry papers, you know, that, that anybody who criticizes Scientology or religion in general, this is what they do is they, they, they have religious recognition, so they assume that Scientology is as good as or the same as every other religion, which it's not, and, uh, and the world knows this. 
and they then use that positioning to try to uh, make a case for religious persecution, you know, that what I'm doing, what, um, you know, Mark Headley, what Tony Ortega, what Leah Remini, uh, what Steve Kanan, like anybody who speaks out against Scientology, uh, what we're doing is, is bigotry, right, and is, uh, and is, uh, it is hateful, which it's not. I, you know, I don't, I don't <laughs> no hate, man. That ain't what this is about. You know, this is not about being, uh, you know, against uh, specific individuals, particularly, or against uh, a religion, particularly. This is against abuses. That's what that's what we're our work is all about. And it's the one thing that Scientology, of course, will not acknowledge. If you go through all of that website, or at least uh, you know, I went through a, a bunch of it, looking it over to see what this was all about. You will not see them. Uh, take up, you know, the specific charges that are leveled against them. Um, they have a couple things that they have taken up. I should say there's a couple things they've taken up. Like, for example, there's a whole thing on, on the RPF, right, on the Rehabilitation Project Force and how it's a voluntary, wonderful program and there's nothing wrong with it and never, never has been. Well, if you listen to me and Nora Crest talking about the RPF, you're going to find all kinds of things wrong with it. And in fact, in the future, I want to do another uh, podcast episode with Nora and just talk about that because believe me, we can fill up an hour or two talking about the unbelievable nonsense and abuses that went on when she and I separately were on the RPF in the same place, just at different times in the 2000s. I mean, this is within recent history. This is not old, ancient 1980s or 1990s stuff. So, um, you know, and, and that's just one example, but that's a, that's a white paper they have, and they have these other white papers, you know, these fact-filled, uh, you know, articles or, or documentations about how wonderful Scientology is. Well, we've already debunked all that. They also feature some academic papers on there, and if you guys are wondering why I did that whole series of 20-plus videos on deconstructing the book Scientology by James R. Lewis which is now done, it's a whole series on my channel, that is there to debunk those academics because there are people who are paid good money via grants or directly to write uh, papers in favor of Scientology. It's religious status, it's status um, as a humanitarian organization, it's status as a, as a vol the volunteer minister workforce, like all these papers get written by these, you know, goofball academics who literally have no idea what they're actually talking about. And they uh, just have this idea that any new religious movement or anything that calls itself a religion must be a religion and must be granted tax exemption and must be granted religious status. And, and that's just not, you know, it's not that black and white. And Scientology shouldn't be looked at that way. So anyway... All of this stuff comes together on this website, and that's about as much as I looked at it and then just wrote the whole thing off. I thought briefly about maybe doing a video or something about it, but I thought, eh, I'll just answer this question and kind of kind of put it to rest. And if you guys want to go take a look at it, you can. If you search my name, by the way, they have a search box, and if you search Shelton, a couple documents come up, a picture of me comes up, so maybe there is some future for me on that standleague.org website. <laughs> but uh, anyway, that's, uh, that's about all I have to say about that.
Palmer, I listened to your Sensibly Speaking podcast with Pete Griffiths recently and noted that you both reflexively and emphatically denied being in an anti-Scientology cult. I don't know from Mr. Griffiths, but I have listened to more than 60 hours of your opinions and viewpoints. Considering how many times I've heard you tell people not to start looking into or to join Scientology, I think it's logical to assume you are indeed opposed to their existence as a destructive cult. You've emphasized numerous times in your videos that there's a difference between Scientology's beliefs and their organizational implementation. You've said you don't give a fig if people want to believe in the tech, LRH, body thetans, etc., but your express purpose in creating and maintaining your online presence is to offer information and raise awareness that would ideally prevent people from joining and help those still in to make the decision to leave. Isn't that the very definition of being anti-something? If a positive result would be all members leaving, the ultimate destruction of the organization is implicit. I know you're constantly being taken to task over the meaning of atheist versus agnostic versus whatever, and I'm sorry if this just seems like more nitpicking. No, it's not nitpicking, it's that you're emphasizing the wrong word. Uh, when Pete and I, at, at least from my point of view, are talking about the fact that we are not in an anti-Scientology cult, the word cult is what we're talking about. There's, there's no argument that Pete and I are anti-Scientology. Now, Pete has, you know, I'm not speaking for Pete here, he's made his own statement about that, and he says he's not anti-Scientology, he's, you know, the anti-the abuses and stuff. I would say the same thing, but it's the word cult that I find objectionable in the statement anti-Scientology cult. This, this phrase and the whole use of it to describe me, Pete, and every other ex-member or uh, critic who speaks out against Scientology, as far as I can tell, that phrase comes from Scientology. It is an effort by Scientology or someone working for them or somebody in their camp or somebody in that direction who is trying to nullify and make less of what we're doing by calling us cult members and saying that we follow, you know, I don't know, I don't know what cult leader we follow, Tony Ortega? I mean, you know, it's sort of been sort of what's been asserted. Uh, this is ridiculous. There, there is uh, no more disparate, dispersed, <laughs> uncollective <laughs> than the ex-Scientology community uh, and, the, and the critic community. You know, I have a lot of good friends who have been uh, outspoken critics of Scientology, but we're not a follow-the-leader crew. And a cult, by definition, is a group of people united not just around a common purpose, but who follow a leader or leaders. And especially when you're talking about destructive cults, there's a whole checklist. I've gone over this, Yanya Lalich, right? So, um, and, and, this, and one of those things is that there is a central authority to which all cult members must bow down to and recognize the authority of, and they have to listen to them implicitly and not, not think for themselves. That ain't us, right? Everything that you ever hear me say is my own words. Uh, everything, they, all my videos and everything, I wrote them. So uh, I'm not taking orders or direction from anybody. So when somebody says I'm in an anti-Scientology cult, I'm like, uh, I don't think you really understand what that word means. So that is why you see Pete and I go, yeah, no, that's not what's going on. Anti-Scientology? Yeah, sure. Anti-Scientologist? No. I and Pete, for sure, are not against any 
specific Scientologists, right? I mean, I don't know, maybe David Miscavige, but even then, not really, you know? What we really, like you said in your question really, is what we want is we want people to be freed from the mental and emotional shackles of this destructive cult. And, you know, there are consequences or corollaries to that line of thinking, which is, well, Scientology needs to go away as an organization. David Miscavige needs to step down or be removed from his position of power. But, but those are not the things that we have in mind, particularly, when we're talking about or trying to enlighten or educate about what's up with Scientology, right? We're just trying to get people out of that thing and keep new people from getting trapped and entangled in it because it is, it is a money-making scam and a, and a total con. So I hope that makes it clear uh, why the protest against that term and why you will not see me ever um, support or endorse or, or uh, you know, agree with anti-Scientology cult. Constance Vigilance. When you were in the Sea Org, were you ever asked to disconnect from someone dear to you? How did you feel about that? In general, how did you feel about the disconnection policy? When I was in the Sea Org and in Scientology, I did have to do a disconnection a couple times, but not from anybody that I would say was dear to me, at least not that I recall. Certainly no family members or anything, although it was on the line a few times that I might have to disconnect from my mother. I resisted that heavily and talked my way out of it a couple times. And, uh, and in my interview with my mom, I actually talk about that on this channel. So you can check that out if you're curious about it um, and, and how we actually avoided that. Uh, I was lucky in that I dodged that bullet, right? Other people who were more fanatical or extremist uh, in Scientology would have uh, just done the church's bidding. I resisted it. But I wanted to answer this question because I wanted to highlight something else entirely different from my, just my own experience with this. And that is the general attitude that Scientologists have about disconnection is that they don't get what really is going on with disconnection in Scientology. And the reason why they don't get it is because they don't realize how many people have been declared suppressive. At least not, you know, as of when I left walked out the doors, it was not really generally understood that there were lots and lots and lots of people who were getting the goldenrod papers saying, you know, suppressive person declare, right? And the reason why Scientologists weren't aware of the, of the reams of, of declares that were being issued is because the declare orders were not being posted. In the old days, 70s, 80s, when, you know, when, when declares were all the thing, uh, when somebody was declared a suppressive person, they, that, that order, that written issue, was posted on a bulletin board in churches all over the world. And people would know, oh, Joe Schmo has now been declared. And it would list all the reasons why he was declared in some detail. So you would read it and you'd go, wow, this guy is a real screw-up or he's a real bad guy. This is a bad hombre, you know, as Trump would say. And, uh, and I'm not saying that it was true. I mean, that most of these declare orders were probably a bunch of vicious lies and nonsense. But us reading it, we're thinking it was true because this was our church telling us this. And so we'd read it and go, wow, this is a really, this guy really screwed up. This is a really bad guy. 
And it's sure a good thing that the church found this out about him and got him out because I wouldn't want to be around this guy. I wouldn't want to trust this guy. You know, he cheated on his on his business relations. He cheated on his wife. I mean, whatever it was that he did. And it, and it wasn't just cheating on his wife. I mean, it would be a whole litany of things. Uh, would, would, would create this picture that this guy was, was a bad guy. And most of the time, because these things were posted all over the place, most people don't know who this guy is. You know, people in his direct vicinity might know. They might be upset. But generally, you know, you're reading a declare order from some guy out in, you know, Tucson or Houston or, uh, you know, Twin Cities or something, and you're in L.A., well, you don't know who these people are. Maybe you've heard their name, maybe, but that's about it, right, in general terms. So, and there, and there weren't lots and lots of these things, right? There was one declare order maybe, you know, every, I don't know, every few weeks, every couple months. I mean, it wasn't like there was a ton of these things. And over the years, it did get a little noticeable <laughs> that they were increasing in, in number. I will say that. Uh, when I was in the Sea Org in the 2000s, it started to become like, wow, there's a lot of declares. Then suddenly we weren't seeing them a whole lot anymore, right? Or we were only seeing one or two. And you knew there were more, but you weren't seeing them posted. And it was when I was out on a project and I came back, when it really hit home to me that they were hiding these things, is when I got back from a project and I had seen Dan Kuhn, who was a very senior executive in, in the C organization, had, had left the church, was now doing independent Scientology. I saw this on a website when I was doing recovery work where I was trying to find people and, and I was searching Scientology stuff, not the Xenu stuff. I was looking for Scientologists and looking to recover people. And Dan Kuhn's name came up and I knew him. And I was like, what? I did not know he was declared. I did not know he was out of the Sea Org. I did not know he was practicing Scientology outside the church. I was shocked. So I go back to L.A. when the project was over, and I go, hey, what's up with Dan Kuhn? And they go, oh, uh, you know, well, gee, how'd you find out about that? And I'm like, well, I saw it on this website, and I was looking for this guy, and his name came up. And they go, oh, well, you know, and then they take me into a room, and they've got it in a folder, and and this OSA person uh, brings out the folder, gives me the declare, has me read it right then and there, and then takes it back, puts it back in the folder, and that was all the access I had to that declare order. It was never posted. It was never broadly issued. Nobody else really knew about this. And I was like starting to, you know, go, wait a second. Right? I'd already have been, have been having lots of other doubts. And I started thinking, how many more of these are there that I don't know about? How many, you know, we haven't seen any of this stuff. And that was when I realized that the situation with declares and with how many people were being declared was probably much worse than anybody realized. You know, and when you don't see something, out of sight, out of mind, right? You don't tend to think about it a whole lot. It's not like we're all sitting there panting to read a bunch of declare orders. So we weren't seeing them, so we weren't thinking about them too much. So it doesn't really even enter your mind. So that's kind of that situation with why... Uh, when you do see a declare order as a Scientologist, you think bad dude, right? And you're able mentally to sort of build a wall there pretty easily. Unless, of course, you're a family member or, or were a very close friend. 
But with those people, they'll, the ethics guys will take them individually and try to do a whole song and dance with them and make sure that they're under control and that they understand what a bad dude this guy was or woman was and that they handle them so that they build their own wall there. And that is, that's a more, you know, they'll take some more care with the people who did know that person to make sure they're still towing the line and with the program. So anyway, I hope that gives a little bit more data on how that is dealt with and handled um, in addition to just my own personal experience with it and why you'll see Scientologists defend the practice of disconnection and defend you know, us bad suppressive people of being declared suppressive is because they really think because of the way the indoctrination is done that we deserve it. And of course, you know more about my story than any Scientologist walking around because they won't look at what I actually have to say because I'm declared. So my statements and my views on the subject don't matter. It's only what the church says that matters. So there you go. Lisa M., I've heard many slash most ex-Scientologists claim that Scientologists are basically good-hearted, kind people who got into the cult for altruistic reasons. How exactly do those traits manifest themselves then? From what I've seen, Scientologists are neither kind nor helpful to friends and family who are ill, depressed, struggling with addiction, in financial difficulties, failing at work, etc. People in those states can negatively affect them, as does associating with anyone who is low on the tone scale. Besides, the person who is ill or troubled pulled it in themselves. They're degraded beings or potential trouble sources and to be avoided. I don't see how that attitude could possibly result in Scientologists being kind people. That, to me, means being thoughtful and emotionally generous to all, not just those who agree with and abide by one's own beliefs. As for altruism, most practicing Scientologists don't seem to take any direct actions, aside from auditing, to improve the world. Working at one of the front groups doesn't count. I understand that they deeply believe that holding cans is helpful to the planet, but shouldn't people who have now repudiated the cult and its tech be able to see that it's not? Are you able to give any examples of Scientologists being wonderful people who are caring towards anyone except other Scientologists in good standing? The cult's mindset promulgates against gentleness, open-mindedness, kindness, or warmth, so I'm a bit at a loss to see how they can be described as wonderful people. All right, well, before we start hating on all individual Scientologists, let's sort of take a step back and realize that most Scientologists actually are decent folks. I'm just going to say that again and again because it happens to be true. Now, you want examples of this. Okay, I'll I'll give you some. Um, There is a thing called Winter Wonderland where they try... the, the, The Sea Org uses Winter Wonderland for as much positive PR and press they can get. But... The, the, the Scientology public people who volunteer there and work there during the holiday season and stuff are, are doing that because they're trying to provide some uh, fun and relief to, uh, to children over the holiday season. And they really, that's what, they're, that's what that's all about. It's not like every Scientologist there is like, <laughs> come in little children. It's not, you know, it's not like that. They're really there giving of their time and attention in order to try to help. The volunteer ministers who pay their own way to go out and go to disaster zones and disaster relief areas, they're not there for a photo op. The Sea Org sends people uh, out to those places, the camera crews and whatnot, and they set up photo shot, you know, photo opportunities, and they try to get 
positive press for Scientology. And the Sea Org is the guys who are not paying for their for those public Scientologists to get there or paying for their accommodations or their food or the logistics. Um, they're just there for the photo op. But the Scientologists who go there, even if it's just a handful of people, they have paid their own way. They are boots on the ground trying to do to to, to help. They didn't, they didn't fly out from Kansas to, you know, uh, Southeast Asia just because uh, a photo op was asked for. That's, that's not how that works, right? There were a ton, there were mm, a ton, there were, you know, a hundred or something, I think, 100, 150 um, volunteer ministers who were working at Ground Zero at 9-11. They were in there in the trenches, right? Now, the Sea Org, again, comes along, lies about what's going on, tries to hamper or, or get in the way of um, mental health professionals, tries to get in the way of other religious people, the, the, the Red Cross, etc. I talked about that in, my, in some of my other videos. But the Sea Org's actions, as despicable and horrible as they were, are not, shouldn't color the actions of the people who were spending you know, hours, days at a time uh, on the ground at 9-11 digging trying to provide relief to the to the the first responders you know again whether their actions were effective or not their hearts were in the right place which is the point of this question okay whether their touch assists and nerve assists really help those people or not is you know an individual thing what one by one i think some firefighters and some relief workers were assisted by that I think others just kind of appreciated the chance to lie down for a while and have somebody give them a little back rub, you know? So whatever. But the Scientologists who were there, the public Scientologists who were there, some of the staff Scientologists from the New York org or from other churches who flew out there, on again, on their own dime. It's not like the Sea Org paid to fly them out there. Those people really were trying to help. And they uh, there were sacrifices made, especially in 9-11, and at those other disaster relief sites. I know, um, you know, Louisiana, um, oh gosh, uh, some of the tornado stuff I think that happened, uh, Oklahoma, I think. Um, those, those, those Scientologists who went there, that was altruism. That is what that was. And you and can't really call it something else, right? Even, you know, they're, they're using Scientology, so you go, well, gee, I really wish you were doing something a little more effective or weren't, you know, promoting Scientology while you were doing what you're doing. But at least they were in there pitching, you know. Um, there are food drives and there are, um, there's, there's, when you get down to the individual churches, you will get some food or charity drives that occur, right? I've made the point Scientology ain't no charity. And when I say that, I'm referring to the organizational structure of Scientology and the Sea Org and, and the churches of Scientology do not do uh, you know, overt charity work. They don't feed the homeless. They don't shelter the homeless. They don't, uh, you know, go out and they, they do cleanups and stuff, right? But that's, those cleanups and those kind of uh, uh, charity drives and stuff get done by individual Scientologists. I hope I'm, I'm differentiating this enough to make it clear. David Miscavige doesn't order that stuff to get done, okay? He, he could care less. The Sea Org doesn't order that stuff to get done. They could care less, unless it's going to give them some some photo ops or some PR value. But the individual Scientologists who work uh, or who are just public Scientologists who come and donate food, donate clothes, go out and do street cleanups, they're really trying to help. 
their, their community, their area, you know, other people. So, so there is some work that gets done. There's also volunteering that gets done at, the, at literacy projects. There was a, there was a literacy project in, uh, in Hollywood and in other places that that's been duplicated where they try to teach kids to read and stuff. And again, maybe misguided with, you know, an overstress on dictionaries and the little demo kits and stuff, but they are volunteering their time to do that. Now, that work is minimal. It, it exists, it happens, so I'm talking about it, but it's minimal compared to the amount of work that they could be doing, except like you said in your question, they have this idea that um, you know, going in session and doing their auditing and is itself an action that's supposed to be you know, helping the world and helping other people out. Completely delusional, to be honest, but that's where that. But they they do believe that they are helping and doing that. That is a sincere, honest belief. So while I will knock the validity of it, because it's it's pseudo scientific nonsense and spiritual nonsense and it's delusional thinking, I'll knock that all day long. But I won't knock their honest, heartfelt belief that what they're doing is helping other people because that is what they believe. And it's, they believe it because L. Ron Hubbard and Scientology say that. So, you know, they believe all kinds of things. So they believe that, and that's where, they, that's where their hearts go in terms of uh, putting their time and attention and effort into something to try to, to try to help the world out. Now, all that being said, when it comes to um, the... You, you said the, the work in the front groups doesn't matter. And I take exception to that in your question because... I think that the, the work that gets done in those front groups with the, with the drug rehab and the criminal rehab and the, um, you know, that's that work that gets done on the ground with the criminals or with the illiterate people or with the education, the people who need tutoring or the people who need uh, help getting off the drugs, as, as misguided, again, as they are with the, using the technology of Scientology, the effort of all of those people, these, I'm, I'm, I knew Scientologists who spent hours and hours and hours every week, right? Not two or three, I'm talking about 20 or 30, uh, trying to help people, right? Through the Narconon program, through the Criminon program, through the, um, the Applied Scholastics educational work, right? They were very giving of their time to try to help children, criminals, drug addicts, Okay. And, uh, and you can, you know, you can kick them for being misguided, but I don't think you can kick them for being insincere. So I think I've made that point, probably over made it, but that is my answer to this, the, 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 the why we ex-members will look at scient- individual Scientologists and go, yeah, not really bad people. Katie. By all accounts, the free winds is old, decrepit, ugly, and barely seaworthy. The Church of Scientology has more than enough money to either remodel the ship or buy a new one. Since they buy new buildings all the time to keep up appearances, why not buy a new ship to impress the whales who are expecting to get to OT8? Is it just typical executive incompetence, or is there some reason for keeping the old boat afloat? I have no idea where you got the idea that the free winds is old, decrepit, and not seaworthy. Uh, that is the first time ever hearing that claim. The, uh, the Freewinds is an older vessel, to be sure, and was fully refurbished in the, in the late 1980s when they did their maiden voyage. I think it was 88. 
and it has gone through an entire refit and remodel. I think that was in the early 2000s. Um, and I mean like an entire, like they had it in dry dock for months doing this, you know, they, they practically cored the whole thing out and rebuilt the engine room and the, and the uh, bridge and the, and the whole, I mean, it was just a whole refurbish. So, and every single person that I've ever spoken with, and I've talked to a couple ex-Sea Org members who were stationed on the ship. And, it, and all of them have confirmed to me uh, that the ship was, was uh, definitely seaworthy. Uh, it's, it's out on the ocean all the time. And, uh, and very much kept clean, very orderly, very, very in good shape because Scientology whales do go to the ship every year. They have the maiden voyage week, where they have where they fill the they they, st- they fill the uh, all the birthing in the in the ship with lots of rich people, and they work them over all week long for money 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 money, and in fact everybody who goes to the ship gets worked over for money 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 the whole time that they're but but, but that week is the big week, uh, for them right because they're not really in the business of delivering a whole lot of OT8 anymore. Because there's not a whole bunch of people doing OT8 because Miscavige has sent everybody back down the line. But the food quality, the, the service quality, the quality of the, um, of the, the, the material there, the, the rooms, the, you know, everything was always really bragged about in the Sea Org. And the whole time I was there, and uh, according, again, according to the people that I talked to, uh, it was always maintained in, in very good shape. So... You know, I guess you'll have to kind of, if this is a persisting issue or, or you know, I'm, I'm getting it wrong somehow, you'll have to send me some more information as to where you get the idea that it's decrepit, not seaworthy, uh, because I don't think those two things are true about that ship. It's time for flash answers, I think. Leonie B. Once a Scientologist has reached the highest level of OT8, where do they go from there? With no further levels up the bridge, is it just constant auditing on that level, or are there other things the Church of Scientology is making them do? OT8 is a pretty short action that gets done on the free winds, the ship I was just talking about, and uh, they drag it out these days, so guys are you know can be there for a couple months. But once you're done, you're done. And once you're OT8, what Miscavige has been doing is sending people back down to the beginning of the bridge again. <laughs> They've been doing their purification rundowns and objective auditing, or what they're calling, the, they're, they're calling now the survival rundown. And they just kind of, you know, this is why I've called Scientology the hamster wheel of nowhere. Because you can climb up this bridge and be fired right back down to the bottom of it. Uh, you know, the day that I walked out of Scientology in, in 2012, I was at the exact same place on the bridge as the day I walked into Scientology when I was 15 years old. I was gonna. I was sent all the way back down. Now I didn't gotten to OT8. I'd gotten up to clear, but all of that was canceled and gone. So, and this is what they're doing to all Scientologists. So that's kind of what's happening. Linda Richards, given the incredible stress of Sea Org life, had you ever sought out a private place to scream, cry, or otherwise allow yourself a mini nervous breakdown before getting back to work? Yeah, that absolutely happened. Um, more often than not, I was actually looking for a private place to get some sleep because, man, we would just get so tired sometimes from the, just the days and days of grind. And so, uh, you know, if you had a couple hours where maybe you were supposed to be studying, you might go find a bathroom and just crash. And that happened plenty of times. 
But there were also a couple times, I can definitely remember a couple times where I uh, had a lot of, uh, you know, sort of, or upset, you know, kind of, kind of stress moments and would take a walk around the block or would just kind of uh, disappear for a little while and just kind of disengage. And, and again, actually, to be honest, because I was in the basement of the CLO a lot, uh, which is the blue in the big blue buildings. I was down, you know, in this building you hardly ever ever see. Um, and I was in the basement in there. So so really, the retreat was leaving the office and going down the hall to the bathroom and just kind of locking the door and sitting in there. And that and that happened quite a bit. Uh, so and I know I wasn't alone in that. Tony Nelson. I was in Scientology for a few years in the early '90s. I even signed a two and a half year staff contract. For the last few years, Scientology has been sending me mail and calling me and my family. I do enjoy looking at the propaganda, but I just ignore the phone calls. A recent phone call got me to pick up. I got a call from a local number that I did not know. Normally, all the calls from the orgs are from California or Florida. I answered this local call. It was someone from a Clearwater group. It seems like the Clearwater call center forwarded the call through a local number. Have you heard of the org call centers doing this? The cult seems to be getting very desperate to recover and handle anyone that had anything to do with Scientology. Yeah, Tony, you're right. They are very, very desperate. I mean, nail-bitingly desperate now, and they will not stop calling people over and over and over again. Uh, even people who are out, declared, talking to people like me, Facebook friends with me, I see this on my wall. Although this one is new, this thing with the local call calling through somehow, a local exchange or something. I've not heard of that. So that's that's a new one on me. I, I, I have nothing else uh, on that one because you're the first person who's ever said that. Okay, everyone, those are all the questions I'm going to answer this week. Um, but stay tuned. Like I said, two weeks, not next week, but the week after will be a live show on Sunday morning. And, uh, you know, in details of what that uh, on that will get will get posted or somehow get out to you guys. But Sunday morning, um, I'm thinking um, probably 9 o'clock uh, Mountain Standard Time. But uh, again, I'll work out the details on that and get that out to you guys somehow. Um, thank you very much for all of your questions. Please give me any comments, feedback, or further questions in the comments section below. I love all of it, and I look at all of it. And please do consider donating or uh, forwarding me some love through my Patreon campaign, which would be really, really, really awesome if you guys would join that. Um, it is a monthly thing, and it really helps keep the roof over my head uh, and the lights on here. Uh, otherwise, through PayPal or the blue donate button on my, on my page. Thanks a lot, guys, and I'll see you next time.